It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217 356 9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217 351 5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock, as usual. At 356-9397 is the phone number. A beautiful Saturday morning, the 13th of June, 63 degrees outside right now, and a Forecast a high of about 78, 79 degrees on this Saturday. Mr. Tate, how are you? Very good. What a day, huh? What a day yesterday was. Lovely day. Good uh, forecast ahead. Not much rain in the uh, forecast. Some of the things we'll be talking about uh, today on the show. By the way, we have an open line from now until 930. If you'd like to jump in, several topics. Our guest lineup includes uh, Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. We're going to talk a little bit about the situation with the Iowa football program. He had a story, a column on that uh, earlier this week. Kendall Gill will join us at 945 to talk uh, more about the return of the NBA. Another former Illini, Roger Powell, will be with us at 10 o'clock. Roger is now an assistant coach at Gonzaga. At 1030, Randy Ballard, associate athletic director for sports medicine at the U of I, will be with us to talk about uh, one of the top stories of the week, the some of the football and basketball players are getting back to campus. Yeah, that's the one you don't want to miss because we'll find out exactly what's happening over there. And we're seeing things happen on other campuses that are different. And certainly in, or, in Houston, that's a, a shocker where they no sooner reported that they found five or six people with, uh, with the virus and, and uh, just called everything off. Now, these are not formal practices they're calling off. It's a just guys able to report and start working out, and they, they're not going to do it. Yeah, the voluntary workouts, so they've suspended those at least for now, and I think we'll see more of that happening. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Alabama had five. Had five, yeah. And I haven't heard more about that, but uh, that's going to be a factor, and how that will be handled, I'm sure will be similar but different maybe uh, uh, throughout the uh, college campuses, and uh, Randy Ballard might have more on those kind of what-ifs. You know, uh, because of the marches and, and all the problems related to that, uh, we've kind of seemingly forgotten, I don't know if we've forgotten, but it hasn't been the same in terms of how we feel about the, uh, the virus. And people are starting to relax and starting to, and, and then all of a sudden I, we get this statement by Kyrie Irving this, this weekend that uh, he's basically uh, saying that... Uh, he does not support the idea of all the players going to Orlando and being sequestered there. I don't want to use the word quarantine, but they're going to be there for a couple of months and they, they're not going to be able to leave there, I mean, it, without some problems. So uh, it sounds like all of a sudden that, that July 30th start of the NBA is it's probably going to happen, but there are going to be some complaints and concerns about the health of the players there. Yeah, it'll be interesting. There's just so many different things across the country, and even in the Midwest. I traveled earlier this week through three states. I went uh, up to Michigan, so they're 
they're doing things one way. Indiana, they came back through Indiana from there. It's like nothing's happening there. I mean, yeah. it, it's like a whole different uh, country. Yeah. There, yeah. Everything's normal. You can go into restaurants. You can do just about anything. And uh, golf never shut down mm-hmm. in Indiana as it did here in uh, April. And so it, it's depending on where you are, you're not sure exactly uh, what the restrictions might be at that time. And if there is another wave coming, like they say there is, it's still going to be a very interesting summer and fall. Well, I'm not convinced there's going to be football yet, but I think there is. Well, they're on schedule. Yeah. Let's put it that way. They're, they're, they're doing each, them taking each step as it, as it go, and I think we're going to find out from Randy Ballard a lot more about that at, at 1030. I'm very anxious to talk to him because He's on the front line there. He knows what's happening, and and uh, they're not going to tell us if if a person, if an individual has the vi- has test positive to the virus. But uh, I suppose there'll be ways of finding out that that they might have none or one or five or whatever the number might be. Uh, but there, that's something that it's going to be very closely handled by the medical people. Yeah, they're not going to release names. They can't do that. Nobody is going to do that. But uh, there may be a way to figure out if there have been some tests. Or, you know, it's just a this is a whole n- whole new thing for people, and I don't know what the correct procedure is because it hasn't happened. And the baseball thing is all a battle about money, and there hasn't been any talk about the problems with the virus. When they say it's <laughs> not about the money, it's <laughs> it's always about the money. The uh, MLB says they have given the players their final offer of a 72-game schedule, mm-hmm. 80% of the prorated salaries, mm-hmm. with a July 14th anticipated start date. Yep. And yep. And it's a shame that they have to wait that long to start, but that's, <laughs> that's, that sounds like it. Now, that, that probably will be declined. Everything else has been declined. So ultimately, uh, I'm told, and, and uh, this, is, this, I think, is accurate, that the commissioner at some point has the power to just basically set up a schedule and enforce it among those who would be willing to play. I suppose you could always back out. If you don't want to play, you can always say, I'm not playing. Right. If your concern is about your health. Or, but, you know, it isn't just the health thing. It's being away from your family, and it's just there's all kinds of considerations. But um, ultimately, the commissioner has an authority that I never knew in the past that he had. He can decree. Yep that the, the season shall start on such and such date with so, so X number of games, and they would have to play. One of my questions to that is, why hasn't he done that already? <laughs> right. He could have done that well, a while I, back. I think there's a certain, you have to take it. Uh, I understand. So that's where they are, and, but, I, but at least that's why he can say, we are going to have baseball. Manfred can say, we're going to have baseball. And it still looks like, you know, no fans in the stands. Um, or certainly very limited few. Boy, I'm, I'm wondering about that, though, anymore. I, the more I read and the more I hear, I, I mean, we're offering season tickets at the University of Illinois. I, I know uh, Iowa State offered 20,000 season tickets, and uh, they're going to try to put 28,000 people in, in a 60,000-seat stadium now. But can they do that? I was talking baseball about I know the, you were. And, and, no, you're and, right. And, yeah. I think everybody has a plan for mm-hmm. a percentage of the crowd, whether it's 9,000, 10,000 in a 60,000 well, The reason I brought it up is that baseball is saying by, by July the 
14th or whenever they actually start, they might be able to put X number of people in the stands. I don't know. Would you They're go to a looking. baseball game right now if you could? Would you go to St. Louis or Chicago if they say they're they're playing in July and it's I'd open be torn. I probably wouldn't. I you know if I can see the game on TV, I probably wouldn't. But I don't know how I'll feel by the July 14th date. I mean, I might feel different. Right now, I'm still a little skeptical. But I went out to eat last night and I ate at the wheelhouse in, in St. Joe. There were a number of people eating outside. Actually, we're eating in the parking lot, <laughs> which is what what's happening a lot of places. Sure. Uh, you can, they just set up tables in the parking lot and had a wonderful time over there. Uh, you know, so Tom Kasich was there with his uh, family. And, and you uh, went to the bowling alley at Old Orchard yeah, earlier in the we week? we did. We ate, ate out in that screen porch there. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to get braver about it. I'm not sure I'm the smartest guy in doing this, but uh, I've done it and I, I have, I still have questions. Back to the question I asked Lauren, if you folks have any uh, comment on that. Would you go to a baseball game in July or August? Three five six nine three nine seven is the phone number if you'd like to jump in. Some other things we're going to talk about as we uh, move along on the show. Uh, golf is back. The PGA Tour is back. Kind of interesting if you watched any of that coverage on the Golf Channel. And it will be on uh, CBS uh, this weekend as well. 30-foot putt. Silence. <laughs> Hole-in-one silence. <laughs> right. Thursday hit a hole-in-one and and on a par three, of course, and those guys were walking. They were halfway to the green before they even realized that uh, it had gone in. So uh, that's interesting. The way the broadcast is set up is interesting. Jim Nance is there. The other guys are not. Nick Faldo, Ian Baker Finch, they're in Orlando. They have production trucks on the East Coast and the West Coast doing the graphics and all that. It's, it's quite a setup to, uh, to get it done. As I mentioned, the phone line is open. Let's uh, go to the phones. Alan with us in Montrose. Good, good morning, Alan. How you doing? Morning, guys. It's a beautiful morning this morning. Yes, it is. Uh, I just heard on ESPN a little while ago that the Players Association Major League Baseball are going to turn it down, Yeah, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, second thing, you guys talk about going to the game. I would go to the game, but uh, I'm not afraid of the, you know, constructing the virus there at the ball game. Normally I would go, but after all this between the owners and players, I'm not sure, so sure I would go now. Well, that's another question. How much are they hurt by the, by the way they're acting? I mean, how, many, how, how are the fans affected by this, I wonder? And you're giving your example. Well, I, I don't know that I that – I, I kind of expect them to. <laughs> what they're doing is is what I expect them to do. You know, I don't. I, I hate it, but I just. I know that they just can't agree on stuff, and I I don't really know who to blame. But I kind of blame them both. Yeah, you almost have to blame them both. Let right. me ask you this, Alan: uh, Would you would you go to an Illinois football or basketball game uh, if you had a chance? In a heartbeat. Would you? I, I'm not afraid of going. No, I'd go. I really would. And on the football side of it, do we have two transfers that played at Tuscola coming to Illinois? Who played where? Tus played at Tuscola High School. Is the two players? Is there two players that transferred out and then coming back to Illinois? Is that right? Boy, I don't uh, know. And, uh, I haven't heard anybody from Ward. Tuscola. Somebody help me there. I 
Uh, have you heard anything? Well, about Ford, was it Fordham? Uh, well, where, where was Fordham? Carterville. Carterville. Oh, okay. What well, made me think he was from Duscola? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I know either. Maybe Hunter Woodard was coming back. Well, I hadn't heard that Woodard's coming back, but uh, no, they he, just, from... just just did a story in the News Gazette about him at, at Oklahoma State. That's where he is. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about, oh, okay. about him coming he... back. No. Oh, okay, so I was wrong on that end. Yeah, baseball, I would go normally, but not with all the – when we need sports the most, they're all worried about the money and stuff. But it's just a big turnoff, guys. That's all it is to it. All right, Alan, we appreciate the call. Thanks. 356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to jump in. We'll take our first time out. We'll go down our list of things to talk about before we uh, get our guests. We'll keep the uh, phone lines open for you here. Stay with us. If you're just calling in, stay uh, with us. We'll get to you after this timeout on Fighting Illini Saturday Sports Talk here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Stay with us. Nine fifteen, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly and we're with you until 11 o'clock, phone line is open, 356-9397. Got a few folks on the line talking about uh, baseball coming back, maybe. What's going to happen in the fall with football, and then later in the fall with basketball. All that is on the table. A big announcement coming from the IHSA on Monday pertaining to the future of the boys' and girls' basketball State tournaments. We'll talk about that as we move along as well. But let's go back to the phones and say hi to Bob in Urbana. What do you say, Bob? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Joe Lenardi was out with his NCAA predictions for the next year. And the Big Ten, he has nine teams in the uh, the tournament. Uh, number two seed, Michigan State. Number two, Wisconsin. Three seed, Iowa. Number four, Ohio State. Number six, Indiana, Michigan, and Rutgers. Number eight, Purdue, and number nine, Illinois. And we fight an uphill battle because I think we're going to be better than that, but we have to prove it on the court. Well, I think it depends on who comes back. I yeah. mean, don't you? I mean, if, if, if Kofi comes back, and I expect him to come back, Illinois will be better than ninth. I mean, they finished just one game out of first place this last year. Exactly, yeah. And it, it seems like we fight an uphill battle with, with the national media uh, until we can prove uh, over two or three or four years that we're uh, elder or should be up in that upper echelon or at least in the in the top grouping. Uh, and you think about Wisconsin, who, uh, as we've known over all these years, has, has finished in the top four in the Big Ten basketball uh, almost con- consistently all the time. So once you get to that level, then I think they they respect the ability that you have coming back and, and who you have on your team. So... Anyway, that was interesting to me that we would be a, we'd make the tournament, be, but be a nine seed and all these other teams ahead of us. So thanks and for nobody, taking my call. Nobody knows who's going to be on the teams right now. Yeah, that's the I thing. Mean, yeah. I think you're, you're picking Michigan higher than Illinois because you expect Livers to come back. Is Livers coming back? I don't know. I think he is. But, right. uh, you know, is Garza coming back? Of course he is, but he hasn't, he hasn't pulled out yet, has he? No. So, I no. mean, you know, all I'm saying is that until we know who's in and who's out of the draft, until we know who's going to transfer and who isn't. I mean, Indiana and Purdue lost key players just recently in, in uh, 
I see Smith is uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Smith is going to where? I, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was yeah. a kind of a surprise to me. But um, when when those things happen, I mean, Illinois didn't expect to lose their two players. Maybe, maybe they thought Jones would be gone. I don't know. But uh, anyway, yeah. uh, it, it's just there's too much uncertainty with a when you got 850. And I heard yesterday. Now I've been using the number 850 because that's what Goodman uh, announces, and he he lists the players one by one. There's another guy came out yesterday said it's over 900. 900 players that have decided to to go into the portal. Yep. Hey, Bob, we appreciate appreciate the call. Thanks very much. There's nothing wrong with flying under the radar a little bit. Wisconsin has done it for years, Lauren. Yeah. And uh, they seem to, and there you mentioned they were a four or five seed projected. But nobody, you know, Joe Lenardi and those guys, uh, yeah, that's what they do, but they've got no idea <laughs> well, it's right just, now. It's especially. just the wrong time of year to be doing this. You, you yeah. ought to wait till the Till we till the to determine who uh, pulls out of the draft. That's all. Back to the phones, George in Savoy. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. This is for Lauren. Uh, I'm the guy that dropped that program off that 1950 All Star program. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't know if you had a chance to take a look at it, and see if you could field a team to the, from that roster to co- compete today. Well, I don't know about players in 1950 competing today based on uh, all the improvements that have, you know are made in athletics. But I appreciate I you know. dropping that off, and I'll get that back to you. By the way, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the combined salaries of all those people in that all-star teams probably don't even come close to the top pay today. No, but uh, when um, you got people like. Ted Williams, <laughs> and you know, right. and, and when I every time I mention Ted Williams, I think he lost he lost so many uh, home runs and RBIs to the two wars that he was involved in. Right, right. That was the other thing. Yeah, yeah. His statistics yeah, would everything. be off the charts that he'd been able to play. Right, but the roster, the people that they were on that those rosters are unreal. They're all a lot of them are Hall of Famers today. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll let you go. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, thanks, George. Appreciate it. Let's go down to uh, North Carolina. Marty is with us. What do you say, Marty? Morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. It's a Chamber of Commerce day down here today with low humidity, which we never get in the summer. Hey, you know, uh, Ted Ted Williams and Stan Musial are two guys I have respect for because both of them actually gave salary back when they had bad years. Now, you find me a player today as they're doing this negotiating and give salary back when he had a bad year. You know of one? Nope. No, no. No. Um, my thought is, would I go to a game even though I'm blind? Yes, I would. Uh, I, I think being fearful of things is kind of ridiculous, and if people are going to go out and protest without masks and side-by-side, I don't see why you can't go to a ball game. Well, when it came now, to protesting, they just completely forgot about the virus. There's no question about that. They were, no, well, in fact, you know, it wasn't even mentioned on CNN. You but know. they didn't. Keep, shouldn't they have arrested him for being out in uh, <laughs> in close proximity without a mask? Shouldn't they have, since they were doing the same thing to protesters that were protesting being locked down? But of course, they were from a different political party and a different persuasion, so that you know that changed. I get, I get sick of the everything's broken down into politics these days. It's getting to be uglier and uglier. Yeah. As to the owners and the players, yeah, the commissioner does have the right to do that, and he's going to do it. They're going to play. 
And my personal preference would be, but it'll never happen, Lauren, it'll never happen, is that the fans ought to just stay away for a year and not go to any games and let them know who's really more important in this whole equation. Unfortunately, we fans love the game too much to stay away, I'm afraid, tragically. Now, on to the important stuff. What about the Cardinals draft class, Steve and Lauren? I, <laughs> I know nothing lot. about it. Well, oh. I, I know a little bit, and probably not as much as you, Marty. I, I, didn't, I don't pay a lot of attention to those because seeing those guys is, is so far down the road. I know, but the, the three high school kids, I really like a big slugging third baseman that might move to first with power and hits the ball the other way really nicely. Um, yeah, but how he hit high school pitching is not how he's going to hit the 100-mile-an-hour 100, 100 well, fastball. In the, well, <laughs> actually, actually, they showed him, Lauren, in a high school all-star game last summer hitting a 98-mile-an-hour fastball out of the ballpark to right center, and the comment they made was, he has learned already how to take the ball the other way, and then Dan O'Dowd, a former GM, piped in, and that was a 98-mile-an-hour fastball he just took out of the ballpark. That wasn't a, a high school, a normal high schooler. So he's unique. The second guy's an intriguing one out of Texas who's a two-way player, and the Cardinals are going to develop him as a two-way player, both a pitcher and a shortstop. So keep your eye on a kid named Mason Wynn. He's kind of a unique kid. And then the third kid's the one you ought to really love because his name, Tink Hintz, pitcher out of Arkansas. Now, he's got to make it to the big leagues with a name like Tink Hintz. Don't you think? <laughs> well, Lauren and I just hope to be around by the time those guys make it to the big Well, hell, Lauren's club. never going to die. Come on. He's not allowed. Don't jinx me. He's not, you're, not, you're not allowed to go until I do, Lauren, so you're, just, you're going to be in there another 20 years, I hope. Oh, boy. So you oh, think uh, you you think by the uh, middle of the month you'll be listening to Cardinal baseball on KMOX and the Cardinal Network and people will be watching it on TV. You think that's going to happen? Middle of July, yes. Yeah. Middle of June, no. No, that's what I meant. July. Yeah, I I think it's going to happen because the commissioner does have the right to do it. They were talking about it on another show I was listening to, and Manfred has said there will be baseball, which means he'll invoke that privilege. They're already going into their debates for the collective bargaining agreement already, and it's sad. They should be doing something for the country instead of themselves, but they can't get out of their own way. It's a tragedy. But what should we expect? The whole country's like that. It's, it's a me, me, me country now. It's not a we country anymore, tragically. All right, Marty, anyway. appreciate it. Good to hear from you. All right. Take care, guys. Yep, you too. 356-9397 is the number. We mentioned uh, the IHSA uh, uh, announcement coming on Monday. Yep. A lot of speculation. This was supposed to be announced in April, and then everything happened, and so it's been bumped back and bumped back again. The Champagne's and, had some really good people working on it. Yes, and they I have. think they're very confident that it's going to be back here, and we all look forward to that. Now, to be clear, that Champagne bid on the boys only. Mm -hmm. um, I understand Peoria bid on both, mm -hmm. and Bloomington Normal, I think, would still like to have the the girls. Uh -huh. and I think they've done a good job with with the girls uh, tournament over there. That's a nice facility, nice location. Yeah, Peoria could be out of the business. Could be. They had had it for 25 years. I don't, I don't know if that ran it right into the ground. I don't it? know if that seems like a long <laughs> time a terrible, or it doesn't. I shouldn't say that because there are a lot of different reasons for it. But boy, oh boy, it's not the same tournament. You just walk in there. You, we can walk in <laughs> anytime you feel like it. It's just not the same. 
And it may never be the same. I'm not sure it can be. The divisions really make it difficult, the three divisions. It really does. You don't have a Hoosiers kind of set up anymore, no. even in Indiana, do you? Don't they have they, – they, they split it in Indiana. Yeah. It, it's just – it's not something has happened over time that has just diminished these high school tournaments. Well, that announcement comes Monday. We'll have complete coverage of that on our shows on Monday here on DWS. So, so many – I mean, I, I to get into it is to get into controversy. But number one, among the smaller schools – you, the reason the smaller schools were brought in was so they could have their champion. And what's happened is that the Catholic schools have, have uh, due to their enrollment numbers, have been able to take over that area, particularly in football too, by the way. And then you have the situation where you have these, the dominant teams out of Chicago, which can recruit just like Catholic schools. All the good players are going to Morgan Park or they go to Simeon, like they used to go to Chicago King. And so you have dominance that don't bring big fans with them. And in those days when, uh, long ago, when Quincy and Centralia and Champaign High School, Champaign Central were, were strong, they brought tremendous fan followings with them, and you don't have that anymore. Now, in Peoria, there was a run with a tournament was in Peoria, and Peoria had great high school teams, Wayne McLean's teams. Then, that was, then they had uh, support. But all this support has kind of fallen off. Peoria's not as good as they were. And, and we have all these teams coming out of Chicago now that don't bring great fan followings. And, and the, southern, the southern part of the state, Steve, has just died in basketball. The West Frankfords and the Bentons and the Centralias I mentioned and, you know, Mount Vernon. I mean, it's just it's not there anymore. Interesting stuff. And we'll see what the – how it shakes out come Monday. Moving up on 928, hitting the bottom of the hour. We'll take a break. We'll invite uh, Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune into the conversation. He'll be followed by Kendall Gill at 945 and Roger Powell at 10. We'll keep the phone lines open if you'd like to join us as well. Back with more of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Nine thirty, WGWS, Champaign-Urbana. This is... Saturday Sports Talk brought to you by the Pella Window Store and Illini Pella with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're with you until 11 o'clock this morning. 356-9397 is our phone number if you'd like to jump in. Welcome to the program from Chicago, the Chicago Tribune. Teddy Greenstein is with us. Good morning, Teddy. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Are we uh, getting you before your uh, Saturday tea time? <laughs> you know, I played yesterday. I usually don't play on the weekends because I'm usually doing uh, family stuff. But uh, I got out there yesterday, and uh, man. What a day, know, huh? Seriously, Lauren. Awesome. I found that not playing on the weekends is a good strategy, really. I, I like to play during the week and then maybe practice a little bit on the weekends if I go to the course. Well, but. I went out yesterday. My attitude was better. The ball rolled better. <laughs> Uh, I looked up, and it was just a perfect day. The wind wasn't affecting that much. And, boy, what a day. We've got breaking news here when, <laughs> when Lord Tate said his attitude is better. <laughs> My attitude is better. <laughs> better than what? <laughs> well, I hit the ball straight once. <laughs> well, Teddy, we wanted to talk you to you that, a little you bit about You also had some drinks, Lauren. That was good. I like it. <laughs> yeah. We want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Iowa football being in the news. Maybe they'd rather not be in the news in, in this kind yeah. of situation, but uh, a lot has happened out there in the last week or so, and you wrote about it. And uh, just kind of what did you find out by looking into uh, some of the comments from ex-players? 
Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's true, Steve. It's been an interesting stretch. Uh, you know, Iowa, I think, represents stability and consistency, and it's a program that that usually doesn't make a whole lot of news. But but this is so significant because Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach, has clearly, you know, really offended a lot of former players, uh, mainly minorities, um, but also a kid with uh, ADHD. You know, look, he, he's viewed as uh, one of the best in the country at what he does. That's probably why he makes $800,000 a year as the highest paid strength coach in America. But um, there's that line between um, motivating and demeaning, and he clearly crossed that. And uh, Kirk Ferentz has taken it seriously, and I would be stunned if Doyle somehow survives this. So uh, the fact that Kirk is, is addressing it is saying we screwed up, you know, we didn't give the players enough of a voice here, I, I think we'll ultimately allow him to stay, but that's, a, you know, uh, that's still to be determined, obviously. I, I wonder, uh, Teddy, do you, how different it is at Iowa than it is at most schools. I know that um, because of the responses by a number of Iowa athletes, I just wonder if, if, if you ask athletes at a lot of other schools whether they had ever been demeaned, I, I mean, right. I've been around some awfully aggressive coaches in the past. I don't think you can get away with that stuff now. But if you go, right. I, I, how much different do you think it is? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think in Iowa's case, because Doyle had been there so long, mm -hmm. um, because he was making so much money, because he was obviously you know, nationally respected and, and Kirk empowered him so much, that he probably felt more leeway. Uh, to say what he wanted to say and get his little shots in. And then obviously the other issue is now because of uh, George Floyd and all the uh, aftermath and the protests, you know, African-American players are feeling like they can come back and say, this isn't right. So I'm sure a lot of strength coaches have been rough in the past, but hopefully they've not been, you know, making comments that were, you know, racist or pretty close to it. Hopefully they haven't been saying, you know, I'll put you back in the streets or I'll send you back into the inner city. Uh, hopefully, you know, there haven't been players who, if they're wearing a face guard, somebody says to them, hey, you're about to go rob a bank. So, you know, it's one thing to motivate. I think you're allowed to get personal to some extent. But, you know, when it crosses the line into, uh, you know, into race stuff or with the ADHD kid into calling kids stupid or dumb, that, that clearly can't happen. You know, uh, you mentioned the word empowered, and I tried to write a column Sunday about this uh, for tomorrow, uh, about how much more empowered the players are than they were five years ago, ten years ago, even one year ago. Exactly. I mean, now what you're seeing, look what's happening with the portal. Look how much freedom players are having right now and how much more they're going to have in the future. And we went right from the uh, stipend, which was as recent as 2015, and all of a sudden now next year you're probably going to have – uh, the ability to to earn money via endorsements. And, and just talk a, a little bit about that, Teddy, about the empowerment of players now. Well, and Lauren, so much of it is social media as well. And it was telling that, you know, Iowa has had this very restrictive policy where they didn't want their kids to tweet. And even uh, from the comments I read yesterday, uh, Kirk Ferentz said that was a stupid policy. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that you can just restrict them because, oh, it might cause a distraction or it doesn't work in the framework of the team. Sure. Again, if it was 19, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or even more recently, yeah, the coach has all the power and the players are afraid to speak out. 
But that's something we've seen now um, in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter movement. Players want to speak out. They should have a forum to, you know, these are uh, college-age kids who uh, are on scholarship and um, deserve to be heard from. So whether it's kneeling before the national anthem or, you know, protesting on the streets or speaking out, the days that the coach can just say, don't do that or long gone. Visiting with Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune, what's your feeling at this moment about whether or not we'll see college football this fall? Well, I think we will, um, although the last couple days have not been great. You know, University of Houston uh, had, I believe, six kids who who tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, I just think the finances are such that schools are going to give it every chance in the world. They're going to take some, you know, they're going to take some risks because it's, what, 75% of some athletic budgets. And, you know, this country is just longing for football and longing for sports. So uh, I think it'll happen. But I guess my question now is, will it be the full schedule or will it be condensed? You know, maybe I I could certainly see where they say, no, let's just make it, you know, 10 weeks, 10 straight weeks. Let's end before Thanksgiving. Let's not push our luck here. You know, if we start mid-September and go to, you know, the second or third Saturday in November, um, because I think there is clearly a fear the longer you go and if it creeps into December and January, uh, it's going to be really affected by a second wave. So that could almost be, in some cases, just like a conference season only. Could be. I mean, obviously, it's tricky then in terms of buying out the contracts and stuff. Like I talked to the athletic director at Northern Illinois, and, you know, they're supposed to play Iowa this year. I think it's $1.4 million, and that was something like – I've got to remember what Sean Frazier told me, but but a big chunk of their annual athletic budget, I think their entire athletic budget is $30 million, so you can't just say, okay, 1.4 is you know gone. So they would probably have to assure them, maybe they'd have to pay them part of that and then reschedule the game down the line because that would really hurt those uh, MAC programs. Well, back, uh, let's go back to Iowa a little bit. I mean, how do you expect, do you see anything that's happened so far to hurt their recruiting or hurt their team this coming season? Well, I mean, it could hurt their team, Lauren, or it could really help their team. I mean, I think if the players now feel like, uh, you know, Kirk is with them and and the coaches are listening, um, maybe, you know, it's kind of like how we all feel on our jobs. I think if we all feel like we're getting supported by our editors, our bosses, I I think we're all going to do better work. So, sure, it could hurt them, but to hear from the Iowa players the last couple of days, it sounds like they're unified and are, are uh, you know, turning it into something that's building up the team. Well, if it builds up the team, I mean, you know, when, when it comes time to play, they might be more organized than, than anybody who know. I mean, it's, this is all going this is all happening now. We're, we're a month and a half away from the, from kickoff and they might have their situation resolved while others uh, over time, you, you might start to see sports writers like Scott Docterman and others who have been, and, and, and Mike Loss and, and uh, people yeah. in Iowa, uh, they're, they're all over this thing. By the time the season starts, this may be behind them, but it might be de- evolving in other places because I'm not sure that Iowa's probably done anything any worse than a lot of – that's my opinion, that they haven't done anything right. any worse than a lot of other schools. It, it just hasn't come out yet. But, I mean, let's hope that these other strength and conditioning guys are, are, are not – you know, demeaning in their comments. I mean, there's clearly, look, if it had been one or two or three players, maybe you'd say, well, you know, maybe this guy's a little sensitive. 
maybe he's speaking out for other reasons. When it's dozens of players coming out, yeah. then let's not forget, too, and, and this is where Kirk really uh, is at fault and, and where he needs to accept a lot of the blame. You know, when you look at all the players who had transferred out, the fact that it had been something like 80% or more African-Americans who were leaving his program, Kirk at that point should have said, wait a second, what is happening here? Why are so many black players feeling like they can't stay? What do I need to do to make the situation better? So, sure, if you look at other schools, if there are other schools out there where, you know, out of 50 transfers, you know, 41% of them are African-American, then I think you're saying – seeing there was a problem, but I don't think there was, um, you know, just anecdotally, I don't think there was that level of problem at these other schools. Well, that may be, but, uh, you know, if you said something one time, like the Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scully said uh, a racial slur in 2013, and it, and it was recorded, they can come back and bite you all these years later. And, and I don't think they have anything other than that one thing on him, and yet he got suspended so everybody's vulnerable if, if you did it even once. But I'll keep in mind, it, it's usually not once. Yeah. You, maybe, yeah. They, maybe they recorded it once, Yeah. Um, but it's usually not, you know, whenever somebody does something that's so out of line, uh, I, I think it's, it's extremely rare that, oh, my God, he's an amazing guy. He, he's really in tune with the minority players, and he had this one slip-up. You know, I think sometimes these – uh, mistakes are uh, emblematic of a guy who, uh, you know, probably should be gone anyway. Another minute or two with Teddy Greenstein. You uh, live and work in a major league baseball town. What are you hearing about baseball? How do you think the fans will react if they do get back on the field, even for seventy or seventy-two games? Yeah, Steve. It's. it's, it's I don't want to say it's looking grim right now, but I mean at this point. A lot of the analysts are saying, man, uh, the best we might do is a 48 or 50 game season. And I mean, my question then is if Rob Manfred is imposing a season, if he's basically forcing it upon the players, are they going to want to come back and um, are they going to do it enthusiastically? It's just amazing how all these other sports are able to, you know, get together and say, all right, this is a, this is a crazy time. We got to make some uh, major changes here to get back on the field and baseball just can't do it. And uh, I blame both sides, mainly the owners, because I think the owners should be more than willing to, uh, you know, suck it up and, and have a season of financial losses. But it does seem like the players are, uh, you know, are, are, are so stubborn also in terms of what, what they're willing to give back in a year like this. Hey, Teddy, as always, we appreciate your time. Good to catch up with you and, um, uh... We'll do it again here in the next uh, month or two, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Enjoy it, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Teddy. Teddy Greenstein from the uh, Chicago Tribune. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Steve in Princeton's been hanging on for a bit. You're up. Steve, go ahead. Yeah, back to when you were talking about the state tournament coming back, hopefully, to Champaign. I remember in 1970, I was a junior in high school. And there must have been 50, 60 school buses parked outside, people all over the place. It was a, a sight that I'll never forget. And one thing I do remember from a month ago, you're talking about Harv Smith, on Memorial Stadium, they had a big spotlight projecting, I like Harv. Yeah. And I don't know if Orton remembers that or not. Oh, I do. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, but that was just magic back then. I mean, students all over the place. You had the Aurora East, the Vistos, LaGrange, uh, Proviso East. I mean, it was just electric, and like you said, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that or not, but 
that's an experience that I would like to see come back, but I don't think it can. Good stuff, Steve. Appreciate the call. Thank you. It is 944. We'll take a break. We're going to visit with Kendall Gill coming up, talk about uh, the NBA return and maybe a few other things as well. Stay with us as we roll on with Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Welcome back to the show, everybody, on DWS. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you as usual until 11 o'clock this morning. Phone line is open. 356-9397. Thanks to Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune for spending some time with us. And now we have the first of back-to-back former Illini basketball favorites. Kendall Gill is with us now. Roger Powell is going to join us at the top of the hour. Good morning, uh, Kendall Gill. How are you, my friend? Oh, good. How are you doing, Steve? How are you doing, Lauren? Good. We are hanging in there trying to figure out uh, – when uh, various sports will be back or if they'll be back. We wanted to chat with you a little bit about uh, the NBA and the way that's looking uh, towards the end of July. Um, you think it's going to happen? I mean, are you convinced it's going to happen? Uh, not convinced yet. Um, but uh, it looks like that the NBA is trying to do everything that they can to make it happen. I know there's been a number of players to express concern. Um, and I think that that is, is something that the league has to, um, you know, be sensitive towards because a lot, a lot of the players still believe that, you know, that if they come into contact with someone that they could easily be in, infected. So, and I know that firsthand from talking to some of the NBA players, uh, that are still active in the league, uh, right now that live here in Chicago, I also, uh, work out with uh, two NBA referees every day, so they they do have some concerns. Also, the concerns are that they they're going to be in quarantine, and you know they they're not going to be able to see their families for two or three months. So, you know there, there's there's a lot of things that that the people that are going to be participating in the season uh, are worried about, and uh, you know I can understand their concerns, but. You know, I understand that the, that the league uh, wants to get the season, uh, the, well, the rest of the season in, and we'll just have to see what happens. I don't, I don't know uh, what happens from this point. This is probably a question you can't answer because we're going through stuff that uh, we've never gone through before. But if you were still an active player, do you have any idea, uh, with faced with this kind of situation, how Kendall Gill might react? Would you be ready to go? I'd be ready to go, yeah, because I mean that, it, that's my job, and, and I have to do it. Um, but as long as the the safety precautions were put in in place, I would be okay with it. You know, understanding that I really I'm going to be quarantined, you know, but playing basketball for two two months, um, and I, you know I would be able to handle it. Yes. Well. Uh... I'll ask you this, you know, Kyrie Irving seems to be taking charge of the complaint department here. Uh, what's your reaction to, to his, does he have a leadership um, position in the NBA based on his playing ability? Not really. Um, you know, I think, I think he is uh, a wonderful player. He, he's a great talent. But, you know, if you're looking towards the leadership, you got to look towards the Players Association, and, and that's Chris Paul. Uh, he is the president of the Players Association, and uh, um, you know that's where I would look for the for the leadership. And I know that that Kyrie is is 
one who who expresses his thoughts quite often. <laughs> but you know, I I I would look towards what the players' association had to say rather than one individual player. Where do you where does Paul stand on this right now? I, he's all for for going back. You know, he's concerned. He wants to put the players' safety first. You know, because that, that's the way Chris Paul is. He's, he's been a great. Uh, president of the Players Association, and you know he wants the players' safety concerns first, but he also understands that you know they're trying to get this season in, so he's flexible. I mean, he's 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 doing the best job that he can for both sides. We talked this. Uh, we brought up this question to Steve in particular did last last week. Why July? Th- why so late? I mean, it it seems to me that if. Uh, if they were going to do it, they could get they could get the thing rolling before this, before July the thirtieth. Why why the late date? Yeah, I, I have no idea why they chose that date. I I would have thought those teams probably once they made the the decision, I thought that they probably would already be in a two week training camp right now. You know, I thought that they would probably start you know July one, uh, but July thirty first that is an awfully long way away. You know, and then you're looking, okay, once they finish the season, now the the regular NBA season doesn't start until December 25th. So uh, there's been a number of talks saying that the, that the league should start on Christmas Day. You know, so uh, like you said, we, these, these are times that we've never been through before, and the NBA is trying to adjust as well. But I'm with you, Lauren. I, I really don't understand why such a late start. We're talking to Hall of Famer Kendall Gill for the next few minutes. If you'd like to join us, 356-9397 is the number. What's new with the Bulls? What Are they getting any closer to uh, deciding on who the coach is going to be? Uh, I don't think that they're getting any closer as of yet because I understand the new front office wants to watch the coaching staff interact with the players to, to evaluate the coaching staff, also evaluate uh, Jim Boylan. Um, so they, they have to wait until they can really get some workouts in before they can evaluate anything. But really, I, I, spending 15 years in the league, I've always known this. When a new management comes in, they always want their own guy. And, you know, I, I believe that unless the present coaching staff knocks the socks off of the new front office staff, then, you know, they, they may be replaced. Who's their guy, Kendall? Who do you think is their guy? I, I don't know who their guy is yet. You know, I, I don't, I don't know these guys per se. I, I, you know, I know Carnashovis comes from Denver. I know Eversley comes from from Philadelphia. I don't, I don't know them that well. Uh, so I, I don't know who they have uh, pegged as of this point. Kendall Gill is with us. You played high school basketball in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, at uh, was it Rich Central, right? Correct. And the IHSA is going to make a decision on Monday, an announcement on Monday, on whether or not the state tournament stays in Peoria or comes back to Champaign-Urbana, as it where it was for many, many years. Do you have an opinion on that, on where it should be or what you think it should be, or is it still a big deal for a high school player to say, I want to play in the state tournament in X location. I have a very strong opinion about that. As a matter of fact, I think that that's a reason why our recruiting suffered at U of I suffered for so long. 
And the reason why is because when I was in high school, Nick Anderson was in high school, Ben Wilson was in high school, Marcus Liberty, Steve Bardo, Lowell Hamilton, Kenny Battle, and so on, we watched the state tournament at the Assembly Hall, which is now the State Farm Center. We all wanted to play in that building, um, whether it be downstate or in college. And I think when kids start to see the state tournament on television, um, you know, we, we back in the day we used to watch it on WGN, Channel 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you start to develop personal feelings for that building, for the university uh, as a, a recruit. And, you know, it's a strong, strong selling point. And I've told this to people many, many times. If Assembly Hall was or State Farm Center was still the site of the state tournament, we would not have to really worry about our pipeline anymore. You know, uh, I think that uh, it's it's, it's a big recruiting tool. You know, you you don't have to just ask me. If you ever have all those other guys that I just named previously, ask them too. You know, they they all aspired to play in that building when they saw it as high schoolers. Kendall, if you had any advice for I.O. DeSumo, what would you give? What would it be right now? Work hard. You know, (laughs) I I know he's going to be a first round pick, but, uh, you know, I I like what I saw, the improvement in his game from his freshman year to his sophomore year. Uh, the development of his jump shot off of the dribble. You know, when I saw him play his freshman year, I, I think that he wasn't as comfortable doing the things that, that he did in his sophomore year. Uh, you know, the way he stepped up in, in, in big games and, and became the go-to guy. Uh, he needs to continue to work on those skills. Also, defensively, work on those skills and, and get stronger and study the game. And then he's going to have a long, long NBA career. I learned something about Kendall Gill this week, and I've known Kendall since his freshman year at the, the U of I, but uh, I've never seen you riding a tractor baling hay before, and I saw yeah. some video of that this week. Yeah, uh, my brother owns a 100-acre ranch out in the south suburbs of Chicago, and I, I go out every once in a while and help him out, you know, cleaning stalls, baling hay, and uh, riding horses, you know, just doing regular farm work. You know, that's I mean, a lot of people don't know that I do that, but <laughs> and I've done it for most of my life. So, you know, I'm not I'm not, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, guys. Yeah, you had another uh, milestone uh, this spring as well, right? When uh, your oldest son outran you, and what was that? About a sixty yard dash? No, actually, it was about a hundred yard dash. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But 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 my son wanted to race it, and, and my brother said he's going to record it, and and we ran a uh, hundred yards, and I couldn't believe because I you know I, I always beat him, but but now at thirteen I like I really have to try to beat him now, and he, and he actually beat me uh, in the first race, but but Steve I don't know if you saw the second one I came back and I and I just edged him out, <laughs> but 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 I know I only have a couple weeks left of that. You know, by by the end of the summer, he's going to dust me, man. <laughs> Good stuff, Kendall. Always uh, appreciate your availability, and we, we really enjoy talking to you, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. You bet. Kendall Gill with us, Flying Illini Hall of Famer at the University of Illinois as we approach the uh, top of the hour. 356-9397 is the number if you'd like to join us. We're going to talk to another former uh, Illini basketball standout, Roger Powell, coming up as we kick off our second hour of the show. Stay with us. We're back with that and more after this. 
It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show as we head towards 11 o'clock here on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Illini Pella, Saturday Sports Talk. The phone line is open, 356-9397. I've got a, a sports question which you are ideal to answer because you come from Ohio. Okay. It's a simple question. and it's been a long I'm, time since I came from Ohio. I, but this is a, an off-the-wall question. Okay. Is Ohio State good for the Big Ten? I'm talking football. Is Ohio State good for the Big Ten? Yes. Okay. But they're not good for Michigan. They're not good for Illinois. You know why? Who cares about if they're good for Michigan? Or well, not? the Michigan people. <laughs> well. No, here, here's my point. Um, Michigan still leads the all-time series against Ohio State. Okay, so. but I'm talking about current. What, what I'm saying to you right now is they take hope away from the majority of the Big Ten schools. They just simply take hope away. There's no hope in Indiana being in the Eastern Division ever winning that, or Maryland, or Rutgers. But they bring credibility, attention, yeah. dollars, yes. everything else to everybody else in yeah, the Big Ten. They do. So, But they take hope away. Well, maybe. But There's no, in other if, words, if you let them take it, it away. It is not competitive. Now, Penn State's got a really good football program, but Ohio State stands in their way. Michigan's got a really good foot. Okay, so you're, you're, you're convinced that Ohio State is absolutely good for the Big Ten, and I think everybody would agree with you. What do you want to do, kick them out? No, I'm just saying that when you have somebody that dominant. Well, it's cyclical. It, I mean, Oh, man, Steve, it's not cyclical. Well, Michigan I mean, has dominated the same way over the years yeah, at times. That's true. Michigan and Ohio State have dominated. Right. But was that good? You had the big. Yeah, maybe two, that wasn't. You had the big two and the little eight, and then you had the big two and the little nine. Right. Then you, had, you know, so I, I just raised the question because I, I just wonder, as we prepare for another football season, Illinois plays Ohio State. Yep. It's like that game doesn't exist as we analyze their schedule. Well, we'll it's a giveaway. We'll it's like it's gone. There's no chance. We'll kick that around here as we move along. And a good question. Caught me a little bit off guard with that, yeah, but that's well, okay. And, and, and I, don't, I, I know it's a ridiculous uh, position to hold. I mean, you could take the same thing. I mean, you say it's cyclical. Well, it certainly is cyclical for USC. That one time USC was co totally dominant in, on the West Coast, and now something's happened. They were, their, their record the last two years is 13 and 12. Imagine yeah. USC, Southern Cal, 13 and 12. That's 50% roughly. We've got some people, I think, that might have an opinion on that. We're going to get back to that, but Good. we're going to get back to basketball first. We oh, just okay. had uh, Kendall Gill on from the uh, Flying Illini. Now we're happy to welcome to the program another former Illini basketball player, Roger Powell Jr., with us, now an assistant coach at Gonzaga. Good morning, Roger. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. We wanted to touch base with you a little bit. Uh, you've uh, been on the staff there at Gonzaga. Now this will be your second year coming up. But talk a little bit about uh, your experience there with Mark Few and uh, certainly the year ended 
in in a manner that we didn't want it to end. But uh, your thoughts on how things are going for you out in uh, Spokane? Oh man, things are going great. Uh, you know, obviously this year was a surprise for everybody in college basketball, and especially for us. You know, being I think we we're ranked number two going into the tournament, going to be a number one seed. You know, going to have two uh, home games practically for the NCAA tournament, and we had just finished uh, beating St. Mary's in our conference tournament championship. So we were riding high, and then everything kind of was, you know, taken away from us with, you know, the the COVID. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it was a great season, fun, fun, fun time, great group of guys, and you know, I'm getting to learn a ton from Coach Few and just being in this program. You've got a lot of those guys coming back, and a lot of folks think that. Uh... Uh, the Zags might be the uh, preseason number one pick. Tell us about uh, what you anticipate uh, on the court for Gonzaga this year. Uh, you know, just the same thing as last year, man. You know, last year we had a bunch of guys that worked hard, that played well together. Um, you know, we had a mixture of experience and a mixture of guys who, you know, kind of came in and, you know, waited their turn and developed over the years. And, you know, last year was kind of a, um, you know, a year for them to kind of break out and, so this year, I think we have the same. We have a nice mixture of new, really good freshman talents and grad transfers coming in. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the what the year has in store. But um, but now it's a matter of getting these guys back on campus and being able to get back in the gym and working with them. Hey, Roger Powell, Lauren Tate here. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear from you. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. This is Roger, really good. With so many international players that have come to uh, Gonzaga. Have you got them all back on campus yet, or are they on their way? What's what's the uh, situation in terms of bringing them back this year under these conditions? You know, it's really interesting. Um, a lot of international players couldn't even go home, so they're here. Um, you know, they they had to stay on campus. So, you know, it, they've been here this whole time, and now it's just a matter of the NCAA allowing us to, you know, have access to them in the gym and getting them back on the court. Um, but, you know, most of those guys had to stay because they couldn't get back into their countries. And if they did go back home, you know, we didn't know when they'll be able to come back. Is there a place in Spokane for them to, to work out and stuff? I mean, have they been able to stay in shape? You know, I mean, they've, you know, they've, they've had, you know, outdoors activities. Um, you know, we were able to give them things via, you know, the, um, the internet and different things like that. Um, to be honest, guys had to go back to the old school way of man going out to the park and uh, working on their game that way. But you know they've been able to manage, and you know I'm sure that they are not in the the, the type of shape they would have been. They would have been in the gym this whole time. But you know they they they've done the best they could with what they had. Roger, tell us, uh, give us the names of some of the players that figured uh, most. Uh, you know, in terms of the starting lineup and everything, I'm kind of forgotten the name since the season's ended. Uh, who, who's back this year for you? So we have three guys with their names that are in the draft. We're hoping that they will come back. Um, you know, those three guys are Corey Kispert, who will be a senior for us next year, uh, Philip Petrusev, who was uh, player of the year in our conference, and Joel Ai, who um, will be a junior for us next year. And all three of those guys have their names in the draft. But, you know, we have, you know, guys coming back. Anton Watson didn't play much last year. He started early for us but had injury problems. Drew Timmy, who came on really, really strong last year towards the end of the season, and he's going to be a sophomore and be a major force for us. And then our freshman class, uh, we, we have one of the top classes in the country with, you know, Jalen Suggs, who is kind of the, the, 
the, um, the key the key freshman uh, recruit for us, and he's you know most consider him a one and done. He's top five talent in the country. So we we, we have a, a a mixture of talent, experience, and uh, you know it's be excited to see when these guys get on the court. We're visiting with Roger Powell, the Reverend, who played at. Uh, Illinois in uh, 2002, 3, 4, and 5 out of Joliet, Illinois. In your time now in basketball, when you run across the guys you played against and maybe uh, coaches that you played against during the time, what do they tell you about what they remember about that 04, 05 Illini team that went 37-2 and and all the way to the national title game? Oh, man. I mean, there's, there's always conversations about it, stories about games that we played and you know, just the fact that we were really good, um, you know, and we were um, good across the board. Um, everybody, you know, played their role and we were tough, played hard. And, you know, we were really, you know, we were a tough matchup for a lot of people. But, you know, just the memories of those games and the comeback against uh, Arizona and, and things like that, people kind of have them, you know, in their memory banks. And they always kind of come up in conversation. You know, one thing I – I knew had, but maybe had forgotten about that team, and I was looking back in anticipation of talking to you. Just had some some stats about that game. One thing or that team, and one thing that really stuck out in my mind: all five starters, D. Darren, James Augustine, Roger Powell, and Luther Head, each guy started all 39 games <laughs> that season. I don't know if that's ever happened before, certainly for that many uh, ball games. But you talk about it being so good and so together that's an amazing fact i think uh, you know it is but also also i think the fact that all five guys averaged double figures all right. five starters which was pretty remarkable and you look at last year's team for us here we had practically seven guys averaging double figures and, and that just kind of shows how how well we shared the ball and and, and that's a formula for being really good yeah, that uh, that team was was so special, and you know, I always look back on the on the '89 team and the 2005 team. The power forwards in those two teams were Roger Powell and uh, uh, Battle Kenny Battle, and neither of you were the size that everybody tries to get for a power forward. And I think that I think everybody's always making a mistake to try to get size there when quickness and and uh, mobility, you know, and the ability to shoot. Both of you could. You could do that. Uh, you just talk about that the the uh, the fact that this wasn't a big team. I mean, the Augustine was wasn't necessarily taller than the centers he was going up against either. Yeah, I think it was a matter of our heart, and I think you know when I played with for Bill Self, I was a I played the three, and you know we had Brian Cook and James Augustine. I played the three, and then Dean Darren were the one and the two, and you know it was a different style, and you know when, when Bruce Weber came in, you know, my junior year, and I was playing majority of the three. And then he said, "Hey, you know, we want to, we want to, want to, we want to play a little smaller and hopefully post some mismatches." And and he he actually brought me to his office and, and asked me that, and I was like, "Okay, sure, I'll do it. I didn't care. I just wanted to win and play and try to have a chance to win a championship." And you know, and for his style of play, you know, it was kind of you know the way that basketball is starting to go. You know, with you know Draymond Greens and. You know the six, 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 seven guys that can play. You know, can handle the ball, can shoot a little bit, and and that's what we did, and it worked. Um, and um, you know, I just think it's a tough matchup when you have someone that's six, seven, six, six that has the strength and the ability to guard and be physical, but yet 
you know, can handle the ball, can shoot, and can do things in the perimeter. And then you, you add the fact that we had those three guards that, you know, were fast, could shoot. All three of them were basically point guards. And then James Augustine, who was very mobile as a big, it just it, it, it worked really well together. Another couple of minutes with uh, Roger Powell. Let's talk about your coaching experience, your coaching track, if you will. You spent some time at Valparaiso and then at Vanderbilt before heading to uh, Gonzaga. And uh, you're still early in your career there. But uh, is head coaching something that's on your radar down the road? Yeah, I've had a couple of opportunities, to be honest, in the, in the last – I mean, this is – I'm starting year 10. And, you know, I just – the first opportunity I had, good program, I just I, – I didn't feel like I was ready. Um, you know, and I never want to jump into anything prematurely. Uh, I think, you know, now where I'm at in my career and what I've been able to learn, the ups and the downs, and, you know, to be honest, I've been blessed and fortunate to have a lot of success except for a couple of years. Um, and then, obviously, being here at Gonzaga and coaching under, I believe, a Hall of Fame coach and – you know, seeing how things are in here. You know, I definitely believe in the future, um, you know, if the opportunities were to come around and if there's a program that I felt comfortable in and I felt like it fit me and I fit them, you know, I would definitely do it. Uh, but I'm not in a rush. Uh, I think every year that I coach, I get more experience. Um, you know, I learn something. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's funny, like, how do you know if you're ready for a head coach? How do you gauge experience? I think it's just every game you coach, every season you go through, every play you recruit, every kid you develop, you know, everything you see, is just kind of putting experience, you know, into my into my memory bank, and and I think now where I'm at after my tenth year coaching, you know, we'll see, man. I think I think there's definitely you know the the possibilities of me running the program. I'm actually starting to get excited about it, to be honest. Tell me about your family. Oh my goodness, man, we are uh, growing. Um, you know, I think yeah, I have a son who is. 11 months he'll be one next year he's a beautiful man love that guy and then i got another son who's uh six and then my daughter uh is nine and they just absolutely love uh love being here in gonzaga they love the games um you know and, and to be honest this last three months with the covid you know stoppage in the world you know for for me you know, I've, I've been able to do some recruiting and different things over the phone, but to be honest, it's been great just to kind of be around my family and, and it helped my wife and just, you know, being at home. This is, we, we won't get this again, and I've never had this before. So it's, that's been great. Talk about your, your playing career after you left. You played, I don't know, what, eight or ten seasons overseas? Oh, my goodness. I actually only played six. So I played, okay. uh, I played uh, first year in the CBA, second year I played with Utah Jazz. And then um, towards the end of the season, I went and played in the D League. And after that, I started playing overseas and, you know, played in all, a lot of top leagues over there. Played in Italy, Spain, um, in the ACB, played in Israel, played for Jerusalem there. And then my last year was um, in Frankfurt, Germany. And I, I actually was in my prime, um, you know, 28, making really good money. I had a huge contract to go back overseas. But, you know, I really felt like in my heart, uh, God was leading me to, coach in college so I walked away from playing um, early in my career at 28 to start coaching and you know it was kind of one of those decisions I made in faith believing that you know I was making a decision to go to coach college basketball because it was God's plan for my life and you know I had no idea what to expect and now looking back on it it was you know the best decision I ever made I mean I, I absolutely love coaching um, I've been blessed and fortunate financially to you know 
you know, make up a lot of money that I missed the, the first couple of years coaching at Valpo. And, uh, and now I, I can see myself doing this for a long time. And it's one of those things where you just kind of walk by faith and you just trust God and you make a decision and man, it just, it, it works out. You stay in touch with any of the guys on the team, the, uh, the Illini team? I actually just talked to D Brown. Did you? Um, How's he yesterday. doing? Yeah, he's doing well, man. Coaching at UIC and, you know, we, we stay in contact and, um, you know, it's good to see him as he grows in his career as a coach. Uh, still the same D Brown, still full of, you know, confidence and energy. And I talked to, I talked to Darren um, about a couple weeks ago and, you know, he's being a family man golfing and just enjoying your life. So it's good to stay in contact with those guys here and there. That's Roger Powell, everybody. Always a favorite of the uh, Fighting Illini fans. And you gave us, you're giving us another uh, reason, maybe not another reason, but a reason to kind of root for Gonzaga in uh, basketball. We'll, we'll follow your career from there. And uh, It's hard to be against them, isn't it? It is. It's, they've, got, they've got it rolling out there, and Roger Powell is certainly part of it. And we appreciate your time. Good to catch up with you, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Hey, my pleasure. Good, good talking to you guys. You Thanks, bet. Roger. Roger Powell Jr. with us, and uh, before we got into that interview, you said uh, you're feeling old, Lauren, that uh, well, you start talking to these guys, you remember their dads. Oh, Roger's dad was a heck of a player. <laughs> yes, he was. You know, up around Joliet, I, uh, I remember him being an All-Stater yep. you know, back in the day. Let's go to the phones. Rick, and, Rick in Charleston's been hanging on for a while. Go ahead, Rick. You're on the air. That's all right. Good morning, guys. Really nice show. A little disappointing you didn't ask. Ask Roger if we could borrow one of the fours out there. I think they got three or four of them. Yeah. And uh, uh, one of them would suffice for to fill our final scholarship here a little bit. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, can you update us or anything on the, uh, is it Benjamin Burdunk? Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. The Belgian kid? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I knew, I knew he, you know, came in and everybody was kind of thrilled because he's, He's got the you know college body already, and and first yeah. couple games there or something, he you know shot real well and had that stress fracture and then kind of re-injured it or whatever. And, and let me tell you what around. the coaches say about him, okay? That's what I want to hear. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> they don't know. They didn't get a chance they to see him. They haven't seen him play, and yeah. that's exactly what they're saying. They just don't know. How can they did know? He just did. He just shoot in practice and never really had much well i mean he, he was he was anything. out for basically the entire season i mean almost the entire season he yeah. you didn't see enough of him to they didn't see enough of him to have any way of judging how he will impact the coming season are so, they confident so, that his fractures fully healed or is that well i think they, i think they feel like they took uh, they they let they didn't let him play for even a period of time after he could have come back. Well, he wore a boot for a long time. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And But I'm saying they were ultra careful. Yep. And so uh, they think that he'll be fine that way. They just don't know where he fits. I mean, they just don't. I don't know who the power forward is. I guess it's Basanich Philly uh, because, uh, you know, he'll, he'll probably start at the four. And that's not ideal because he's still the backup for Kofi. And um, he's not an ideal four. I mean, he, he had a really rough year last year, in, in all fairness. Uh, you know, I don't like to say things bad about George. He's a terrific guy, but he didn't have a good year. And they've got to figure out what to do about that. They wouldn't be concerned about that position if they thought he could just walk out there and fill it. 
But uh, right now, I, I'd say that it's, it's a wide-open position. I don't think Coleman Hawkins is going to be ready. And I don't know if the other guy, if uh, Hutcherson or, or Granderson is big enough to play there. I don't think they are. So I don't know who the four is. I'd like oh. to say it was Verdunk, but I, I, don't know, I don't know enough about it. I certainly can't make a judgment when the coaches don't know. Yes, I understand. Hey, nice, nice program. Yeah. Thanks, Rick. We appreciate that. It is 1020. We'll take a break. Got about a 10-minute open line segment ahead. If you want to get back to that Ohio State football, is it good for the Big Ten or not? You can feel free to weigh in. 3569397 is the number. We're back after this. Moving up on 1023. We're with you until 11. 3569397. Thanks to our guests so far. Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. Kendall Gill, Roger Powell Jr., good to hear from uh, Roger Powell and kind of keeping an eye on his coaching career. I could see him as a head coaching candidate, and as he mentioned, Lauren, he had an opportunity or two to do that, and I would guess uh, with each year he's getting closer to pulling the trigger on one of those chances. Yeah, he's, I think he'll be, he's, a, he's the ideal guy for it. Uh, the problem is always that when you – leave a, a winner like Gonzaga and you get a job, uh, you know, in his situation, he gets his first job, it's likely to be a team that just fired its coach. And usually when the coach is fired, that means they weren't very good. So you're starting from scratch a lot. Unless he replaces a guy that moved to a better opportunity well, that's himself. That's so true. Never know how that is going to play out, but it was always good to catch up with him. He's one of those guys that you kind of remember as somebody that's covered the program as long as you and I have. Uh, he's one of those go-to guys uh, during his playing uh, career for interviews. He's always very well-spoken. Oh, yeah. Very polite and really a good guy. From uh, Joliet, Illinois, Roger Powell, Jr. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Back to that Ohio State conversation. What yeah. uh, what made you think of that? What uh, Had you been kicking that around for a while? What, what made me think of it is the fact that Illinois plays them, and it's a game that we don't even discuss because Illinois is not considered – even hopeful of beating them. I mean, Ohio State's been in the, in the play. Wisconsin's been the dominant team in the West. They've gotten the playoff four times. Ohio State's kicked their butt all four times. One time it was 59 to nothing. Ohio State's beat Michigan, I'm told, 15 out of the last 16 times. I mean, they take hope away from everybody else. It's wonderful to have a national contending team in the Big Ten, but my big complaint is it's not fair when one team gets all the best players every year. That bothers me. I like baseball because you, you have a draft. I like basketball because you have a draft. You get play. I know that you can't force high school players to go to a certain college, but it bothers me that all the good players go to one school. Does it bother you that the same thing happens at Alabama or yeah. Clemson. But there's one big difference with Alabama right now. LSU is really good. Georgia is really good. Florida's going to have the best team they've ever had. Auburn is tough as heck. Uh, I did mention LSU. I mean, there's the, the South has got a lot of power. If you were to list the top ten teams in the country, five or six of them would be from the SEC. Only maybe one from the Big Ten, two, maybe Penn State. You know. Maybe three. Michigan's getting some. Yeah, Michigan's really good. But they, when you lose fifteen, when you're one and fifteen against another your rank opponent, that's if that. In other words, 
Harbor, uh, Harbaugh is in trouble even though he's got a tremendous winning record. He's in trouble because he can't beat that one team. But th my problem goes back to recruiting. I just don't like it when one team gets all those great players and they should win every game. They don't win every game. They usually lose one somewhere along the way, but it's ridiculous how dominant they've become. Would you like it if Illinois was that one team? That I wouldn't complain. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one I, dominant team? I just like to see com competitive football, and I see it in the NFL every Sunday, and I, I see uh, – I mean, it's so com – I mean, the, the games are – Three and four point games, you know, all the time. The, the last kick, time after time after time, you see that occasionally in college football, but you don't see it on a regular basis. That's my complaint. I mean, I, I I just don't like the fact that one team gets all the best players. Maybe they're doing their job pretty well. Maybe. The well, they've got advantages that, that are just tremendous. I mean, they've taken advantage. I mean, they've pushed away pro football from Columbus because they don't want anything to interfere with, with, uh, with uh, the Buckeyes. I don't blame them. Uh, I, I'm not blaming them for anything. I'm just saying I wish it was more competitive. I wish we went into a game against Ohio State thinking we at least had a chance. Check the last ten times we play. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But look at the scores. I mean, it's, it's got to be, what, 40-something to 14 on average. Right. Well, you were here during a stretch with the Mackinac years that Illinois was dominating yeah. Ohio State. Yeah. Ohio State was not at that particular stretch of time what they are now, but they were still. Oh, they were really good. But yeah. and, 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 I, and there wasn't a single soul in Columbus that knew what we were doing. I mean, if you well, went back and asked they didn't even accept them, the fact that it happened. <laughs> they, they forgot it as soon as, you know, yeah. they didn't. Illinois would would beat Ohio State and was like, well, it was a fluke. We won't worry about that anymore. And they'd go, well, we've got Michigan coming up. Yeah. You know. That was back in the John Cooper days. And yeah. uh, they, were, they were happy that yeah. they got rid of him. When you say, I'm from Ohio, you are right. I spent the first 20 years of my life. In, in Ohio, and I grew up an Ohio State fan, and, and football's a religion over there, but I've lived here now longer than I lived anywhere else, so I've, I'm watching Ohio State through different kind of eyes than what I football was. Football would be a religion anywhere where they're that successful. If you're that successful, the fans are just going to be crazy about it. They love it. I don't blame them. Wouldn't you love it if you won every game? And you're right. They, for the most part, kept professional sports away. Uh, over there, but uh, certainly on the football side they have. But uh, uh, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. I kind of had the pleasure, I guess, or, or the circumstance of growing up an Ohio State football fan and then going to college at the University of Kentucky. So I, yeah. I, I saw two. Uh, uh, the, the two dominant, yes. And and that's that's true also where they do, Kentucky gets the best NBA prospects every single year. Yep, moving up on the bottom of the hour on WDWS Champaign Urbana, we'll take a timeout and be back with more on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Stay with us. And you know what? The commercial copy hasn't changed that much. Ten thirty-two is the time on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. This is Steve Kelly along with Lauren Tate. With you until 11. Happy to welcome to the program this morning Randy Ballard, Associate Athletic Director of the U of I and uh, in charge of sports medicine. Good morning, Randy. How are you? 
Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for having me. Doing well. No problem. You're uh, always busy, I would guess, in your position, but certainly this time of year and these uh, unusual times. We talked earlier in the show about some of the players starting to come back, the football and basketball players. Talk a little bit about that process and how, how it's working, and obviously it's probably quite a bit different than a normal time when they come back, but uh, just give us some of the details that you feel like you can at this point. Yeah, it's, it's been a busy, you know, two months. You know, the first kind of three weeks of, of going into the shelter in place, we were really just focused on making sure young people were getting home safely and had the support and resources they need. And then as we made sure that we had that plan in place and they were taken care of, then we shifted our attention to putting a plan into place of how we'd bring them back. And so uh, just really grateful from a host of of community partners, be it CU Public Health, McKinley Health Center, uh, Carl Foundation Hospital. We started working with them and reaching out to others, be it the NBA, NFL, and a host of others to to start seeing what people's recommendations were, uh, what the best plan was going to be, and and what kind of testing parameters we'd have uh, available to use here as we thought thought through that process and so over the course of six eight weeks um we worked with our with uh, them and looked at other people's plans and put together what we thought was going to be the robust the most robust plan that we could um and so yes starting on monday we we started welcoming back student athletes um we're testing them on the front front end and then quarantining them for 72 hours and then testing them again and then once we have two negative results then we allow them to to head back to their apartment um, we take them through a, a few days of kind of baseline physiological assessments, some of our standard annual concussion assessments, and just make sure they're truly ready to go to start training. And, and starting next week, we'll, we'll have young people working out with our strength and conditioning coaches in very small groups and being very diligent about mask wearing and hand washing and cleaning of facilities. And, and uh, hopefully we, we can uh, continue to monitor them moving forward. We'll continue to test them on a weekly basis, so hopefully we can avoid some of the pitfalls that we've seen others around the country uh, fall into. But at the end of the day, they're 18 to 22-year-old young people, and we're continuing to educate them and support them the best we can and uh, helping them make the best decisions they can to protect themselves and protect each other. Has it gone uh, relatively smoothly so far? I know it's early in the process. You know, honestly, <clears throat> at the end of the day, Monday, uh, I had – it was a sense of gratitude. It was a sense of uh, contentment. It was a sense of relief of we got through day one testing. It worked how we, we hoped and, and imagined it would. Obviously, this is the first time that probably any of us have done anything like this in terms of us. Obviously, Carl and IDPH already had testing centers going, so we were able to get some information from them of how long some of these tests have been taking and things. But to actually pull it off on Monday the way we, we had envisioned it, it, it was we are very grateful that everything went smoothly. Our, our student athletes were really appreciative of, of all the efforts of everyone involved. And so far, things have gone smooth, and we'll do it again next week. We'll continue to welcome back student athletes on a, on a weekly basis here over the next few weeks as we prepare for voluntary summer training. Randy, this is Lauren. Uh, uh, Houston had five or six, I guess it was six, uh, positive tests. Will you announce positive t- I know you won't announce the names of the players, but would you announce a positive test if you got one? Would that become public? Uh, <clears throat> DIA will not be announcing. You know, I know Kent put out a statement on Monday. We will not be announcing positive or negative. Okay. You know, obviously with young people, there's there's a possibility that someone tweets out that they tested positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, we've decided in terms of our, our student athletes, 
um, HIPAA and FERPA confidentiality pieces that, that we're not comfortable releasing that information publicly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if we have positives, we'll share that with our team physicians and to you public health and, and work with McKinley as well in terms of being able to do contact tracing and quarantining to make sure that we're protecting all, all parties involved. But um, in terms of the FERPA and HIPAA piece, we're, we will not be releasing positive. Okay, so when, when you say things went smoothly, that doesn't mean that they went perfectly. I mean, that doesn't mean that everybody tests negative. That is correct. I was talking about the process itself. And right. So in terms of the process and, and how long it took and people showing up on time and, and the test working and the results coming back as soon as we thought about uh, that's specifically what I was referring to in, in terms of the process went the way we, we had expected. Okay, I think uh, Kent uh, uh, said that there were 39 players that came in Monday. That, that means that no players came in after Monday for the rest of the week. Is that correct? You just you dealt with those 39? So that was 39 football uh, student-athletes, and then we had a group of basketball student-athletes that came in a little bit later in the week. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm not sure the the total. I don't have it right in front of me, but – we're probably around 50 or so um, currently uh, on campus. Okay, and then how many will you have uh, coming in next Monday? Um, next week we'll start bringing in the freshman uh, football student-athletes and after that the freshman basketball student-athletes. And so I'm, not, I'm actually at my house. I'm not sitting in front of my computer at my desk, so I don't mm-hmm. have those numbers, but uh, we'll start bringing in the freshmen that, that want to participate. You know, from, from day one, Josh and, and myself, when we started talking to student-athletes, we made it very clear to them this was voluntary. If them or their families weren't comfortable coming back yet, uh, by no means were we making them. And so we've had a few that have decided to stay home for, for personal preference or maybe they're in a state that's much more open than, than Illinois currently is. And so we'll have some that choose to come a little bit later this summer, um, but we'll, we'll start welcoming back freshmen next week. Now, they're allowed to do varsity, uh, voluntary workouts uh, have they started any of those yet? I mean, did they start after the, well, you had 72 hours of corn, basically uh, held them out for 72 hours and test again. With, are they starting uh, voluntary workouts this weekend? Uh, they'll start Monday. And start so they're Monday, going okay. through assessments. They're going through assessments. That's what I was alluding to in terms of some of those physiological assessments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do some movement screens. We'll do some concussion baseline assessments. Uh, we'll do some pulmonary assessments. We'll we'll take them through a full battery. I mean, I think outside the COVID challenge, I think everybody in college and professional athletics just has an apprehension as as we ramp up the training, making sure we're avoiding any you know injury uh, increases in injuries. You you look at the the data around the NFL lockout or the NBA lockout, and as athletes came back after those lockout periods, obviously some maybe aren't as diligent as others at working out at home, and so. You really want to make sure you know what the training level and the preparedness of each student-athlete is as you start up that training. So hopefully uh, as you come out of one crisis, you're not creating another one in terms of the injury and soft tissue outcomes that, that could be prevalent if, if people aren't prepared to start training. Randy, uh, I went out to eat last night. I ate outdoors. I actually ate in a parking lot you know, under a tent. Uh, yep. what, what are the, uh, You have these 50 players in here this past week. Where do they eat? And do they eat indoors or outdoors? So we're actually, we fed them while they were in quarantine and we'll feed them in to-go options. And so if they choose to take that meal as they leave the the football complex or the basketball complex, if they choose to take that to a picnic table or back to their apartments, that's, you know, they have the free will to do that. And so we don't have our traditional dining room open um, in terms of, you know, eight guys around a table or something eating meals 
we felt it best that we just give them take out, take out options so that they can they can leave the facility and head back to their apartments. So we've already talked to them about, hey, if you want to stop by the park and, and get some fresh air, um, feel free, more than free to, because I think outside the, the injury concerns, the next concerns, just, you know, the mental health and well-being of our student athletes. I think all of us realize being cooped up in a room or an apartment or a house for this long it's been a challenge and so we want to make sure they're taking care of themselves and getting outdoors and going for walks and being outside because that's really uh that's really healthy and, and good for your well-being as well so that's for all three meals that they, they do pick up on all three uh i believe so obviously each team's a little bit different um but yeah they'll they'll get two to three meals a day and if not um obviously their scholarship checks have um meal allowances included in that and so uh, our sports nutrition staff has been hard at work as we've been putting together the testing and return to training program. They've been putting together the, the return to fueling program. And so while it may be a little bit different, obviously we all know buffet lines aren't open and, you know, maybe we're not making smoothies just in terms of trying to limit spread or contact surfaces. We're continuing to fuel them on a daily basis. Another couple of minutes with uh, Randy Ballard from the U of I sports medicine. When you get a, and you touched on this, I think, briefly in your opening comment, but when you get a positive test, talk a little more in depth if you can about the procedure, what happens to not only that individual, where, where does he go and how, how is he dealt with, but how that affects everything else that's going on as well. Yeah, and so we've worked with McKinley Health Center and, and with CU Public Health as well as um, IDPH in terms of putting together a quarantining and contact, and I think we'll continue all of us to hear about contract contact tracing in the news. Uh, but that person will be quarantined at least 10, uh, maybe 14 days or more based on their symptoms, based on retesting them. We'll continue to retest them until they're negative. We wouldn't let them out of quarantine until we have two negative tests on them, and they've been completely symptomatic for at least three days, if not more. And then we'll start kind of basically interviewing them, finding out who they've been around. Obviously, we're keeping very close track of who's in the building when, so we know who they've been around. Uh, we have definitions for what contacts are considered. Um, as you look to the news media and resources like uh, John Hopkins and others and public health departments, uh, most people are saying if you're within you know six feet for 15 minutes or more or within the same room for an hour or more, you're considered a contact and we need to quarantine you as well. And so We've put together a really robust plan. Again, this is where I'm really grateful to be at, at such a place like Champaign-Urbana and University of Illinois. You know, each year the university, probably unbeknownst to a lot of people, deals with everything from meningitis and mumps and other things. And so they already have plans in place that we've just uh, taken and adapted to this situation in terms of contact tracing and quarantining and notifying public health officials. And so I feel like we have a really good plan in place, and obviously that's the big concern that everybody has, and that's what you've seen now happen at places like Houston and others. And while there may be only one initial positive, oftentimes with that positive comes a few more that are going to get quarantined for a week or two weeks or 10 days or whatever the case may be so that we can make sure that they don't get it and they're not spreading it. How closely, uh, Randy, I know the answer to this, do you work with uh, Josh Whitman? <laughs> me and Josh, uh, we uh, obviously before this worked hand-in-hand hand a lot, but me and Josh uh, talk considerably. And so I'm very grateful, so grateful for Josh's leadership. I, I, you know, I, I think we've all seen that through this situation, through um, dealing with the racial injustice uh, challenges that have risen the last few weeks. Josh's leadership 
Josh's uh, understanding of our student athletes, having been a former student athlete himself, and just his his ability to to encourage and support his staff members and his student athletes, I think is top notch. I, I say it a lot. Um, you know, I've had opportunities to go other places, but uh, I I couldn't imagine working for someone besides Josh right now after having lived through this scenario with him. Uh, his leadership and his support of, of us and our student athletes has just been top notch and and there's a lot of directors of sports medicine around the country that don't have that relationship and don't have that support from that chair. And uh, I think that speaks tremendously to him and this university and our department uh, as we face this challenge. Uh, this is the 13th of June. You've got two more weeks of this month. And then around the 1st of July, what changes in terms of the workout? Uh, I mean, will the, will the players start becoming more involved? Can they have – uh, can the football players have a ball to throw around or can they, and can they start, you know, what can they start doing on the, the 1st of July that they can't do now? Yeah. You know, I joked, uh, probably three weeks ago, Lauren, that some days I almost felt like I needed a bat decoder ring as I, as I looked at the, uh, you know, governor Pritzker's plan for Illinois. And I looked at, uh, you know, that's a four phase plan. And then you looked at the NCAA, resocialization plan and that was a three-foot <laughs> phase plan and you looked at other others and there was a five-phase plan and trying to match those up I kind of felt like I needed a bat decoder ring and so uh, we're we're in constant communication with, with local public health and, and following the trajectory of what may happen here obviously nothing will happen in terms of moving to phase four um, till later this month early July um, and then we're also looking to the NCAA uh, most people expect the NCAA here July 1 will allow um, the traditional kind of eight hours a week of uh, more team activities for men's basketball, women's basketball, and football. And so it's keeping a constant pulse on those decisions and, and figuring out what that then means for our situation here on our, our campus. Hopefully Illinois moves to phase four. We can maybe increase our group sizes, and hopefully uh, the NCAA allows some more things. But, you know, I think that's one of the challenges you talked about the football. And so we've already started putting plans in place. Uh, based on plans the NBA and, and NFL and U.S. Olympics uh, Committee has put together in terms of, you know, stockpiling, cleaning things and, and putting together processes of how we're going to clean balls. And if it's initially one quarterback and one receiver and they get to go run routes and then we switch out balls for the next receiver, we're, we're, we've got plans in place for that. But it's kind of just waiting to see, making sure we're going to hit phase four in Illinois and then seeing what the NCAA is going to do with allowing kind of more mandatory activities. That's Randy Ballard. Good stuff. Appreciate uh, you uh, going into detail on that with us this morning. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it, gentlemen. You guys have a great weekend. Thanks, Randy. You too. Randy Ballard, Associate Athletic, Athletic Director, Charge of Sports Medicine for the U of I. 1047. Take a break and be back with more on Ipella Saturday Sports Talk after this. About 10 minutes left on this particular edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. If you'd like to join us, 356-9397. Things are starting to get back to normal at the Pella Window Store. They're back to regular business hours Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. So if you've been thinking about uh, replacing your windows or doors over the past few months, how about a trip to the store there next week at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign? You'll find Mike Mary. And his outstanding staff, they've been helping people in central Illinois for going on 50 years now. And I've always said they do things the right way. There are a lot of things to consider when replacing windows or doors. Things like security, comfort, and convenience. Well, the folks 
at the Pella Window Store have many examples on the showroom floor of their products. You can find them all there, or you can check them out online at PellaOfChampagne.com. The, again, the uh, Pella Window Store on North Country Fair Drive, now back to normal hours, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And um, if you need to see them on a Saturday, you can make an appointment and get that done as well. Stop by and see Mike Mary at Illini Pella. 3569397. We talked a little bit of golf off the top. Steve Stricker, by the way, did not make the cut in the Colonial. He was playing in that. I'm wondering about the Ryder Cup coming up. The Ryder Cup, which Steve Stricker is the captain, and it's going to be Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. The Ryder Cup, potentially with no fans. Wouldn't be the same. Well, none of it's the same. It wasn't the no, same. I don't. It wasn't the same the last two days. It was really strange watching that. I thought I because uh, <laughs> I like to watch golf and uh, and it's it's a good time to doze off and take a nap too sometimes. But uh, it it really wasn't the same. No. It really wasn't. I mean, I I became less oh I don't know less interested I suppose as it went along because I just missed that aspect of it. And some of the players are mic'd. And you got some interesting comments they couldn't edit out <laughs> very quickly. But we mentioned there was a hole-in-one uh, that uh, it's kind of like the, the old uh, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really happen? And this this was like the hole-in-one, but it counted. But they didn't know it was a hole-in-one right away. But uh, Strick is not making the uh, cut there. The leader is Harold Varner the third. After rounds of 63 and 66, he's got a one-shot lead. And some other Illini are well, playing. Jordan, Jordan Spieth is, is making a run here, and yeah. that's got everybody excited because it's been 2017 since he last won a major event. Yeah. 2017. Are you kidding me? He was such a great putter, and that left him yeah. for whatever reason, but he's starting to get some of that back. Some of the guys that missed the cut, John Rahm, who's the number two player in the in the world right now, Phil Mickelson didn't make the cut. Ricky Fowler didn't make it. Steve Stricker, as we mentioned. Dustin Johnson didn't make it either. On the uh, secondary tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, they call it now, they're playing at uh, TPC in Sawgrass down in Florida. Scott Langley has a tie, has a share of the first of the halfway point lead. What other Illini are in that? Scott Langley is six under par. He's tied for first. Nick Hardy is tied for sixth. Brian Campbell is tied for 44th. Luke Guthrie and D.A. Points both missed the cut. So one, two, three, four, five. Former line in the field there. So something to keep track on and uh, keep an eye on if you like watching golf. So back to uh, the IHSA, as we mentioned, they're going to have that announcement and their meeting uh, coming up on Monday with uh, the announcement of the future plans. And uh, I think a lot of folks in uh, Champaign-Urbana are pretty confident. Well, yeah, and, and we're talking about next year, this yeah. uh, this coming season. The, it would be right back here in the State Farm Center, and and I'm sure that the, that it will be a more attractive event than it has been. Uh, but, again, I don't know with the divisions whether there will be huge crowds. I just don't know. I, I, would, I would say there won't be, but uh, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, and it's tough to uh... – in these days and times to talk about huge crowds too and yeah, so they've got true. that working against yeah, them in right. a way on top of that right no matter where it goes Ten we'll take one final break and be back with some final words here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this stay with us
About three minutes before 11 o'clock here on Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk. Covered some ground today. We had Teddy Greenstein on talking about the Iowa football situation. That uh, There's some things to play out with that, Lauren, before that gets resolved. Yeah, I think that they've got the right guy in Kirk Ferentz who, who will accept the mistakes that have been made and has already corrected, you know, that tweet thing where he wasn't going to allow it and then he was going to allow one a week and he just – came back and finally said, well, that was that doesn't make sense. Let's just let them tweet all they want to. <laughs> so he's going to be, I think, reasonable about it, and I think he's, he's well enough respected. I think he's going to survive it, but I don't think uh, Doyle will survive. I think he'll probably have to get a new weight training coach, strength coach. And Doyle had a son on the football team. He's gone. He's decided Linebacker. to transfer. He's already entered the portal. Yep. We also had Kendall Gill, who said he is not convinced that the NBA will play well, there's, this there's, season in late July. All these complaints are starting to flow out now. Uh, people worry, They're not worried about the money. They're worried about their health. And they're worried about the whole idea of having to be sequestered someplace for two, two and a half, almost three months by the time you uh, uh, include the uh, playoffs. If, if you're in the playoff, if you're in the final four to the final two I mean it's really going to be a long time they got to make some limit they got to put some they got to have the ability to, to move around and see their family at least maybe that'll be worked out Roger Powell Jr. joined us as well did you notice that I resisted the urge of asking Kendall Gill or Roger Powell who would win the game if those two teams play? oh wow because <laughs> you know what they're going to say yeah he's going to say yeah, right. <laughs> you don't blame him no, that's always a fun. And you know, uh, that's a that's a really tough one. But uh, because players are always, as as years go by, the more recent teams are all better than the pa- than the past teams were. We we think based on everything we've been able to judge. But in that case, that that bench was so strong on that '89 team. When you're coming off the bench with Liberty and Small, you know, as opposed to Ingram and. That made a big difference. And the Big Ten was so much oh my better. Oh, goodness, then. was the Big Ten better. Yeah. College way, basketball as a whole. I mean, yeah, way, look at that Syracuse game in the in the uh, NCAA yeah. tournament, all the future yeah. NBA players yeah. there. Yeah. And we also had Randy Ballard. He spent some time with us talking about uh, the sports medicine situation and uh, the uh, player testing and all that at the U of I. Mr. Tate, we'll talk to you uh, next week. We'll do it again. We'll try it again anyway on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Thanks to Blake Landa for his help as well. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend, everybody.